As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, welcome back to another installment of the Wide Ride Podcast. I'm Andy Navarro, Miami Hurricanes beat writer for The Athletic. Joined today by a familiar face, guy you've seen on the broadcast team quite a bit over on the ACC network with ESPN. That would be Roddy Jones, former running back at uh, Georgia Tech. Roddy was uh, at Florida State uh, last weekend uh, to, to call the Seminoles 47-7 to win over Duquesne. I wanted to get Roddy on to come talk about the Hurricanes, but really to give us a good idea about the ACC this year, because this man does his homework uh, like nobody else. Uh, how you doing, man, first of all? I am fantastic. I'm uh, I'm excited to be talking about football. You and I were just talking before, like there's only so many times you can explain who you picked in the Coastal and why. Um, so it's good to have something on the field that we can at least talk about, man. But uh, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. I, I like like you. I'm I'm ready to see this thing get rolling. Uh, Mario Cristobal, you know, he, he's not giving us many you know morsels to chew on from from practice, but he did go to the Nick Saban School of Secrecy. Yeah, so, uh, you got to understand, he got his master's degree there, right? And and yep. much uh, we're going to hear about the Kings. But uh, look, I, I I think they're going to be better. I think they're going to be uh, certainly with all the money they spent on coaching, they have to be better coach. Right. Yeah. So uh, right. that, we'll, we'll get to the Canes. We're actually going to wrap up with the Canes because I want to start uh, taking a look at the ACC. And, and of course, you just came from Florida State. What did you see in that game? What are, what are your biggest takeaways about the Seminoles? Uh, Manny, I think first and foremost, you saw a program growing up. Um, this was a team that has LSU this upcoming week. This, the, the game that everybody's been talking about all off season. So it'd be really easy for them to just say, hey, look, we're going to roll over Duquesne and we're going to get on um, to LSU, kind of like they did last year after performing well against Notre Dame, even though it was a loss. Then they lose to Jacksonville State because they just go out and they don't play hard. They don't play well. They miss too many assignments. So I think you see a program growing up from a maturity standpoint. Um, they were able to run the football better than I thought they would. And I thought this was going to be one of the best rushing teams in the conference. Now I think they're threesome with uh, Treshawn Ward, Trey Benson, and uh, Lawrence Toafili. That's as good as there is in the league. And I'm including those three guys at Clemson. Those guys were fantastic 
on Saturday. And while they may not be the athletes that like the Miami guys are, the Clemson guys are, they all run hard. They all break tackles and they've all got enough speed to hurt you downfield. Um, and then defensively, I think you saw, a, a, again, a mature group. Uh, you saw a group of guys that didn't look like um, they, they didn't look like they were playing their position for a first time, which is what it looked like a lot last year because they were moving guys around, didn't quite have the linebackers figured out, didn't quite have the secondary figured out. And when they figured all that out, they matured and they got better, which is why they won five of their last eight. Um, now, I do still think there's some holes on that team, but I think overall, this is a much better Florida State team and, and a team that if they continue to improve, Jordan Travis wasn't asked to do much. The receivers weren't asked to do much. If those guys can come through, then I think this could be a team that um, that ends up being pretty good. Certainly a bowl team, maybe more. They were the only team to, to beat Miami over the second half of last season when when Tyler Van Dyke really figured things out. And people always are, are, are quick to dismiss the Seminoles these days because, well, they you know they went five and seven, right? I mean, how how good can they honestly be right. from one year to the next? But um, you know, I got to give Mike Norvell credit. He keeps getting good players out of the transfer portal. He's yep. restocked the shelves quickly, and that's what you got to do if you're going to turn things around quickly. He's been as good as anybody this side of Nick Saban in the transfer portal, and Miami's had its hits. Uh, obviously, Alabama's been fantastic. Michigan State had a great year last year, but Mike Rovell's done it consistently. He got Jermaine Johnson last year from Georgia, Keir Thomas as well, Jamie Robinson and all ACC safety. This year, he gets Trey Benson, who I think's got immense potential at the running back spot. They got Jared Verse, the transfer from Albany, who had a sack in the game and was this close, really close to having probably three more. Uh, they got Tatum Bethune, a guy at UCF who, uh, who had a, an excellent season for the Knights last year, played well against Florida. So he has done as well as anybody in the transfer portal. And then he filled out some other pieces. And, and I think he's doing it the right way. He's getting transfer portal guys that will improve the culture, which is so, has been sorely needed. Jermaine Johnson has done wonders for that program, both as a player, as a person, as a preparer, uh, and, and then as a recruiter. Because Jared Verse talked to J Jermaine Johnson when he was thinking about coming. And Jermaine Johnson was like, look, here's what I like. Here's what I don't like. Here's what we did. Here's how I think they'll use you. Here's how they use me. Laid it out on the table. And Jared Verse went there in large part because of that, that transparency. So, yeah, he has done an excellent job in the transfer portal. Is uh, Verse as good as Jermaine Johnson, or what, what's your sort of no. early impressions? I mean, that, that dude was a beast last year, man. He is, he is not Jermaine Johnson, and he's not going to be. Uh, but Jermaine Johnson was an older, more mature player when he came over than, than Jared Verse is. Um, and Jermaine Johnson played against Georgia players every single week in practice, which Jared Verse, you know, obviously played at U of Albany. So uh, I, I, Jermaine John, excuse me, Jared Verse, I think has the opportunity, has the ability to be one of the better pass rushers in this league. How he plays against the run, which was a very underrated part of Jermaine Johnson's game, is still a question. He's only 245-ish, um, which is heavy enough, but it, like Jermaine Johnson was like 260, you know, 265 and 6'5", long, mature. Um, so he's not there yet, but he showed some bursts off the edge. North Carolina was the other team that played in week zero. And, you know, they kind of had a little bit of a struggle there in the first half against the FAMU yeah. team. It was like missing, what, 26 guys? Yeah. Uh, I was a little surprised to see 21-14 when I tuned in in the second quarter. They eventually pulled away. Drake May uh, looked very good, I thought, at quarterback. Um, and, it, and it seems like Mac Brown, you know, when he talks about uh, his team, he talks about the improvement in the offensive line and how that's going to really be a, a big difference for them. They end up scoring 56 points against FAMU. I know FAMU has some players on defense that aren't bad. Um, what were your impressions of May, and, and what do you think of North Carolina's ceiling for the season? 
I thought Drake May was fantastic. And this is, you know, big praise to heap on a guy that's played one game. But physically, he's more talented than Sam Howell. Mm -hmm. And it kind of reminds me of the Taj Boyd to Deshaun Watson transition at Clemson. Like Taj Boyd left and it was like, man, how are they ever going to find a quarterback that good? And that's kind of what we did with Sam Howell, what we've done. And you don't quite realize how well they've recruited behind. And so the next then and physically, Deshaun Watson was an upgrade on on Taj Boyd. Physically, Drake May is an upgrade on Sam Howell. He's bigger. He's faster in, in, in terms of straight line speed. He looked just as elusive. I mean, some of the throws that he made were absolutely effortless off platform. You know, all the highlight throws that we st- we love now because of Mahomes and Josh Allen. The throw to Josh Downs up the seam was exactly that. He's fading backwards uh, and throws it off platform. And it's a laser where only Josh Downs can get it. So I'm not saying he's going to be Deshaun Watson. I'm not saying he's going to be better than Sam Howell. But physically, it's the same sort of trend that you saw at Clemson going from Taj Boyd to Deshaun Watson. It's similar going from Sam Howell, a great quarterback in his own right, one of the best in the history of that program. But Drake May is an upgrade physically. So if he can continue to develop, he's going to make some mistakes. But if he can continue to develop, man, watch out, because I think they have a chance to be really good. Defensively, I actually, I mean, FAMU obviously moved the football. I think the big thing for FAMU is they possess the football. And I think those, uh, the the UNC defense, I thought, played tight in the secondary. It was a lot of loose coverage. Um, and, you know, they, they didn't make plays with the ball in the air. I thought they were really simple in their uh, in their in their coverages um, and they got the ball out quick. So like a lot of the questions that I've seen asked over the past couple of days, have been, why didn't UNC get more pressure? And my answer would be, fam, you got the ball out. If they get the ball out in two and a half seconds, you're not getting to the quarterback. Noah Taylor actually created a decent amount of pressure, especially in the first half. He had a sack um, and, and Ray Vahasek was in the backfield. Miles Murphy was in the backfield. But I think those guys, uh, number one, they were getting the ball out quick. And number two, I thought they were a little eager. So they were like tight in the secondary, eager on the defensive line. So they're driving guys back, but it like it's it's in the wrong gap. They're sort of out of position. So can Gene Chizik get that fixed? I don't know, man, to be honest with you. They got App State this week. Um, but physically, I still feel pretty decent about where that uh, UNC defense is. Miami gets UNC before it gets Florida State. But you know what we like to do as fans, right, before the season starts? We, we do the WL thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Schedule. And so every Miami fan just automatically says, oh, they've got to beat both of these teams because they got them at home. they got Florida State at home. They've got North Carolina at home. North Carolina, I think Florida State comes in November. North Carolina, as I said, the first ACC game. I'm asking you, which one is going to be the tougher opponent for Miami? That's a really good question. Um, I think Miami is going to be able to put up points. So uh, that Carolina game to me could be a shootout, but I would edge. I would I would lean towards Miami. I'm going to say Florida State because I think that Florida State defense will be really good. I mean, they played without Amarion Cooper, one of their starting safety uh, starting corners, uh, which forced them into kind of a rotation. Um, but they still played pretty well. I think that defensive line is going to continue to mature and build depth. The linebackers are still figuring each other out, but with Kalen Deloach and Tatum Bethune, I think they're good. So I'm going to say Florida State um, because from what I've seen, Mike Norvell, a more uh, creative play caller, he puts you in more conflict, gives you more to think about. He's going to utilize all the weapons, how they're supposed to be used. I like the pieces. Um, whereas North Carolina may be more physically talented at the top on offense, Drake May, Josh Downs, the two freshman running backs that I think are really good. 
uh, I think it's easy. It plays more to Miami's strengths. It's going to be easier for them to know what's coming. Now they got to execute, and that's what North Carolina is going to make you do because they're really good players. But I'll say Florida State. All right. Uh, not that the blue chip ratio tells the story in the ACC every year because it, it's quite the opposite. But yeah. Miami is the second most talented team on paper when it comes to blue chip ratio in the conference behind Clemson. Then it's North Carolina. Then it's Florida State. Um, so uh, to me, you know, it doesn't matter what you know kind of happens in the offseason. You always have to respect Florida State and North Carolina's talent. And if those guys get coached up, you can't just sit there and write a W if you're Miami. Yeah. The other thing is like. With that talent, this is the thing about the league. The the talent gap isn't that big between, let's say, two and ten. Uh, and, and it's certainly not as big as as, as it once was. Um, so if you don't play well and somebody gets hot and you catch, especially with the quarterbacks that you've got, like you, Miami obviously goes up to Virginia this year. Virginia has no offensive linemen. Like they, they all five offensive linemen are gone. They've got massive questions, but Brendan Armstrong is one of the best quarterbacks in the league and he's got weapons. So if you decide you don't want to play that day, you're going to get lit up on the scoreboard. That's just the kind of league it is this year. And, and while we like to look at blue chip ratio, and I think it is, it's very uh, telling COVID kind of threw the loop because you look at a team like uh, Pitt, you look at a team like NC state, you look at a team like Wake Forest, they are really old teams, especially yeah. on the offensive and defensive lines. So while the talent lay, lies with you know UNC, Miami, Florida State, Clemson, the experience lies with those other teams. And, and I think you just get less of the up and down when you have that experience. I'm glad you brought up Wade because obviously, you know, the deal with Sam Hartman changes things for them. But you know that roster. You, I mean, they, they won last year. They got to the ACC title game. Um, how much respect do we still have to give Wake Forest if Sam Hartman doesn't come back here? Uh, a ton. I, I think the 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 offense is set up to have success no matter who plays quarterback, and that's not diminishing what Sam Hartman is. He's a really good player. But it's miss, if Mitch Griffiths goes out and he's not quite as dynamic as Sam Hartman as uh, as Sam Hartman, and but turns the ball over less, then I think they could be just as effective on offense. Because Sam Hartman did lead the league in interceptions last year. I think we, we kind of forget that or was, or was near the top if he wasn't at the top. Uh, so I, I think Mitch, the ability to do it. I just talked about how experienced they were. They've got two, uh, they've got a seventh year senior, two sixth year seniors, a fifth year, uh, a, a fifth year senior, and then a, like a fourth year junior on the offensive line. I think they're, they're incredibly old on that offensive line. Um, and then at receiver, A.T. Perry's back, Taylor Morin's back, and he slides into the slot to replace Ja'Cory Roberson. And they get Donovan Green back, a guy that we were all really excited about a couple of years ago towards ACL before last year. They've got a guy, Keyshawn Helton, who's explosive out of the slot. That offense, I think, will be fine. The real question's for me, how good is Wake going to be defensively? Because without Sam Hartman, they are going to have to improve defensively. They're not just going to be able to score 50 on everybody. They may have to, they may score 40, but then you need a couple stops so that the other team doesn't score 50. So I think you have to give Wake a lot of respect. Um, I picked him to finish second in the Atlantic. This was before that we knew about the Sam Hartman um, ailment. Uh, but I do think they still have an opportunity to finish there, especially um, especially because I that offense is just so unique and it's set up for success around the quarterback position. We saw what uh, pre, uh, big-time preseason uh, expectations did to North Carolina last year. They came out, lost the first game. NC State this year is kind of that 
okay, they came out of nowhere, right? Like everybody's like, why is NC State in the top 15 or whatever? <laughs> um, what are your thoughts on the Wolfpack? I know Miami beat them last year and and it was one of those thrilling performances. Tyler Van Dyke showed up, but um, a lot of people think they're going to win the conference this year. Where do you sit on them? Uh, and, and Tyler Van Dyke talked smack and showed up. Yeah. That, was, that was his coming out party. I loved it. <laughs> um, in terms of NC State, I, I think – they are so they're not Carolina from last year. Carolina last year, the roster for Carolina in 2020 was not as good as their record. They had excellent players: Javante Williams, Michael Carter, Deami Brown, Daz Newsom, obviously Sam Howell. And defensively, they did enough, uh, but they were not a nine-win roster in 2020. They also weren't a six-win roster in 2021. But they had the complacency set in, and they, and they sort of had this attitude of of you know we we are in, we're entitled to this almost, um, it's like that in terms of a program. They don't get that sense of entitlement. They still have that chip on their shoulder. At least it seems like it. And they're a more experienced roster. So I, I think NC State will be about what they were last year. If they're able to get better on offense then maybe they can challenge Clemson. But remember, that was a terrible Clemson offense last year, and it was still a double overtime game for NC State in one of the sloppier first halves in the ACC. Like, it was, the first half was unwatchable almost. But down the stretch, they, they ended up beating Clemson, but they go to Clemson this year, and Clemson hasn't lost at home since 2016. So uh, I don't think they're quite there. I've got questions about them on offense. They lost their top two rushers. They lose their leading receiver and a first-round tackle. Just hard for me to see them being better, losing all those pieces. Maybe Devin Leary does that. Maybe they open up the offense, change things a little bit, and, and they are able to be better. Um, but it was the upper half of the middle-class offense last year where I expect them to be this year. Uh, and then defensively, I think they'll be very good. But are they going to be better than Clipson? I don't, I don't think so. They're going to be better than Pitt. I don't know. I really like Pitt's defense, and I think the uniqueness of their defense plays into their hands. So I like NC State. Um, they're probably a top. 20 maybe top 15 team to me i don't quite see him as a top 10 yet at least not until those questions are answered all right uh who did you end up picking to win was it clemson uh clemson. Versus pitt? i was so boring it was clemson pitt clemson winning it you know sometimes i go out on a limb and i think i, I did go out on a limb last year i picked miami um but i'm boring this year i'm just going chalk <laughs> well i picked miami to get there and and, and you know I, I guess i have to because if not i get disowned by mario right away i've got to that's true know the confidence right yep. um I think Pitt is a very, very good team. Um, and I know people are saying, well, Kadonis Lovis, look what he did this last year at USC. He struggled. You know, there's no guarantee he's going to come in and be Kenny Pickett. What do you see as, I guess, the biggest obstacle for Pitt to get back to the title game? I think weapons on the perimeter on offense. That's really the only question that I have. And, and I, I get the criticism of Keaton Slovis last year in in his performances. But let's take the full context of it. He had a coach that was fired after three games. He had just, I mean, in the offseason, he'd lost his best receiver. Amon Ross St. Brown goes to the Packers and is, has done a great job there. Uh, or excuse me, the Lions, and has done a great job there. Um, he gets hurt, and so he's playing the majority of the season a little banged up. And I still believe he led the Pac-12 in yards per game. Now it was like 230 yards per game. But he was still one of the top three in the league. This is the guy that threw for 3,500 yards his freshman year at USC. This is a guy who was the first team all Pac-12 quarterback in 2020 in the shortened season. And then when the house burns down around him, we criticize him for not having his stuff together. It's like, <laughs> no, he's just trying to survive. 
um, with with everything crumbling around him. So so I don't I don't really take a lot of stock in in what happened in 2021. He's in a really stable position at Pitt. He is a guy who I think is uh, innately accurate, which is what they need. Um, Gavin Bartholomew is going to be excellent at tight end. I do have questions at receiver. Jared Wayne's back, and he's highly reliable. But they need that explosive receiver. And I think Kanata Mumfield may be able to do that. The transfer from Akron. Akron, thank you. I knew it was one of the A's. I kept saying Albany. Every time I wrote it. (laughs) Yeah, Pitt fans. That'd have been good for Pitt fans to hear. Western Michigan transfer. Um, But but maybe he can be that. I think that running back room is going to be excellent. They've got all five starters back in the offensive line. And then defensively, it should be one of the best defensive lines in the conference. They're experienced in linebacker with Servasia Dennis, who's just a playmaker. Shane Simon played a lot at Notre Dame. He comes over. Those two safeties are really explosive or really experienced and can be explosive, especially especially Eric Hallett, B.J. Hills, the nice downhill piece. Then the two corners have played a lot. So I, there's a lot to like about Pitt. The one question is at receiver. And if Jordan Addison's back, they probably don't have that question. He's not. Um, but I still think they are probably the most sure thing in the Coastal right now. I think everybody recognizes quarterback. It remains the biggest question for for Clemson, right? Is DJ yeah. Mongolale going to get it together? They're going to have to go to the freshman Cade Klubnik. I think people automatically assume, or maybe Tigers fans do, that well, he's going to be Trevor Lawrence, right? It's just it's going to be a similar <laughs> story. He can just come in and and deliver the same way. I, look, Clemson's defense is going to be ridiculous. We know that. I mean, it, it's just it feels like they've they've probably got eleven NFL guys in their starting lineup and, and maybe another five or six behind them. Um, what what is your take on what's going to happen at Clemson this year? Because Miami does travel to Clemson yeah, yeah. in the next to last game of the season before they play Pitt, and those last two games are going to be huge for the Hurricanes. But what's your take on Clemson? Don't forget about that trip to Atlanta the week before that, Manny. I mean, oh, that's going to be sorry. that's good. I mean, look, I mean, that's I a murder, murderer's row right there. <laughs> <laughs> I just hope the Yellow Jackets are still together at that point. Um, <laughs> Uh, Clemson, so defensively, uh, Dabo Sweeney keeps saying there's seven guys on the defensive line that are going to play in the NFL. Maybe that's true. I know there's four of them. Uh, Actually, I know there's five of them that are on there. I mean, Brian Bazee, Miles Murphy are the two headliners. Potential first round picks. And I hate throwing that out because anything can happen and they may slide to the second round. And that's not a that that's not a a, a knock on them. Like that's not something that would look poorly on them. But but they level of potential. Xavier Thomas, KJ Henry, Justin Maskell, all guys that could play at the next level. You look at the inside, Tyler Davis, Rook, Ororo, guys that have enough talent to play at the next level. So when you have, when you start there, it's tough. And we saw what a dominant defensive line can do last year at Georgia. So it's going to be tough for anybody to, to, to be able to control that the linebackers and yes they're inexperienced they're sliding Trenton Simpson inside to Will linebacker he's one of the most explosive players in this league pair him up with uh, Jeremiah Trotter Jr. and Barrett Carter and it's one of the most athletic linebacking course Clemson's had since Dabo's been there and then in the secondary Andrew Makuba was the defensive rookie of the year last year they've got experience at corners so it's it's going to be a hell of a defense and West over at defensive coordinator and I think he'll be fine and this is not uh, knocking his ability, but I think you or I could call that defense and make it like pretty decent. You know, we it's it's generally it, the floor is so high for that defense that that I think anybody could do it. But I do think he has the potential to make it great. The questions are offensively, and the more I've thought about it, I think we'll we have the potential to see two different Clemson offenses this year. If it's DJ Uyunglele, I think it is a run based offense. It's Will Shipley, Phil Moffa, uh, Mikey Dukes all day long. 
um, with a, some quarterback run mixed in, and then you're asking DJ to take shots downfield. So the short pass game is essentially taken out, supplemented by the run game, add quarterback, get some extra numbers, and, and that's sort of your short pass game. Maybe screens, you know, that's going to be the extent of the short pass game, and then you're going to push it down the field. Sort of a mixture between, you know, what UNC does running the football and then the Baylor offense where it's like screens and then deep shots. And then when you Klubnik in, if we see him, then it's more traditional run game, short pass game, you know, sort of dink and dunk down the field, maybe take a shot every now and again. But that's sort of how I would mold those two offenses. So take out what DJ doesn't do well, short passes, intermediate passes, accuracy, let him do what he does do well, take shots, throw the ball down the field. And he's actually pretty decent when you look at him uh, throwing the ball and then you play off the run game. And then if Cade Klubnik's in, you move the pocket, you're going short passes, he's the more accurate, and moving it that way. And then when you get in the red zone, you're pounding the ball, maybe doing some zone read stuff out on the perimeter with him so he's not taking those shots up the middle. Uh, so so I, that's what I think they'll do. We'll see, man. Like if, if they try and do what they did last year with DJ, I just don't see it working. I think that offense gets bogged down just like it did just like it did last year. Um, and he's just not an accurate passer right now. He hasn't shown it the last two seasons, didn't show it in the spring. Um, so it's hard to think that he'll sudden become that. Uh, and then they've got some questions at receiver on the perimeter uh, with who's going to step up. So the strength of that team is the offensive line, the running backs, and I expect them to play to that. Yeah, it should be a fun, uh, fun final two weeks of the regular season for Miami. You really get a good idea. Um, I know you got to get going here soon. Um, four coaches on coachinghotseat.com from the ACC. Uh, your Yellow Jackets, of course, Jeff Collins. He's uh, number three on the list. Dino Babers from Syracuse is sixth. Norvell from Florida State, 21st. And Satterfield from Louisville, 26th. I'm going to ask you this. Who will not be there at the end of the 2022 season? On the hot seat or at their current school? Either or. <laughs> Uh, I'll give you two. So, so uh, Mike Norvell comes off the hot seat. I think a lot of Florida State this year, and if he's able to win seven, eight games with that schedule, uh, which I think they're more than capable of, then yes, I, I think he's removed from the hot seat because this is a team that plays uh, four of the five ranked preseason teams in the ACC. They play Florida, they play LSU, they play Louisiana. So you've got the Sun Belt champions. You've got two schools that just produce talent. Uh, like it's nobody's business out of the SEC, especially LSU, then you've got four ranked teams in conference. If you can win seven or eight games with that schedule, Mike Norvell uh, will certainly be off the hot seat. And then I think there are seven win teams, so I think he comes off the hot seat. Um, Dino Babers is an interesting one because I don't know if this is a bowl team. It's a tough schedule. They get Purdue and Notre Dame in the non-conference. That's tough. Um, so I, but his buyout uh, reportedly is $10 million. And I don't know if Syracuse can stomach that Scott Satterfield. I I'm, you know, I think that's a good offense. I think it's a really good offense. I have questions about them defensively. I think they end up making a bowl. I just don't know what they'll tolerate at Louisville. I don't have a good feel on that. Um, I do, however, know very well what's going on at Georgia tech. And so I think the, if you're going to pick a coach, that's not going to be there next year. It's probably Jeff Collins. Um, it's a team that that is is trying a lot, and if you're selling, it means that you don't really have the production uh, returning. Jameer Gibbs leaves and goes to Alabama. Jordan Mason, who had a great game against Miami last year, uh, leaves and goes to the NFL. Um, when you look at them on defense, their two best defensive ends transfer and go to Ole Miss and Arkansas. 
And so you've got a lot of new faces, not to mention seven new assistant coaches, a new offensive coordinator, changes on the defense, um, and the least amount of returning production in the ACC, not to mention Jeff Sims, who's been as up and down as any quarterback in the league. Uh, add on top of that, their first five weeks of the season, you get Clemson at a neutral site here in Atlanta. You get Western Carolina, then Ole Miss at home, at UCF, at Pitt. It's a brutal start to the season. They get Georgia at the end of the year. Um, so I just think it'll be tough for them to win even five. And I think if you're a two, three, or four win team, um, then Jeff Collins, people are certainly going to be calling for not only Jeff Collins, there's some discontent with the athletic director too. Uh, so I, I don't know, man. I, I think Jeff Collins is probably the surest bet to have uh, have an uphill battle when it comes to keeping his job. And we can get to Miami with this one. Uh, define a successful season for the four new head coaches in the league. And this will keep us through all 14 squads. Yeah. Hit all of them. Duke, Miami, Virginia Tech, and uh, Virginia. So so for Duke, it's improvement. They got to win it. I think winning a couple of conference games is improvement. Um, and, and there's some talent on that roster. 0-8 last year in conference, and there's no reason for that. So you've got to win the Tech game. you got to see if you can knock off a Boston College. you got to see if you can knock off maybe Virginia Tech when they come to your place. Uh, but if if Mike Elko can do that, take care of business in the non-conference, then they'll be flirting with the bowl game. Although at Northwestern, at Kansas, not quite as easy looking as it was uh, about a week ago. So I think winning an ACC game, getting to that four or five win mark is success there. For Tony Elliott and Virginia, I think make a bowl game and Virginia Tech. I think it's make a bowl game for both of those. Show improvement in the areas where you were sufficient, where, where you were terrible last year. So for Virginia Tech, you got to be better on offense. For Virginia, you got to be better on defense while showing momentum on the sides that that your head coach is known for. I have questions about how Virginia's offense is going to mesh and that offensive line. So they've got to show that they're at least decent. And then Virginia Tech, they've got some pieces on defense, but they just have to play better. Um, so, so can Brent Pry and Chris Marv do that? And for Miami, I mean, look, if they're not going into the last two weeks of the year fighting for the ACC championship game, it's not a successful year. They have to be fighting for the ACC championship game at Clemson and at Pitt at the end of the year in order, or I think they get Pitt at home, Yeah, they uh, but, but they have to be fighting for the ACC championship game at the end. Like they should be in either the catbird seat or, or it should be right there going into those last two and having to go to Clemson decreases the margin for error for them. But I don't think Pitt makes it through undefeated. So if you're able to get to Clemson undefeated in conference play, even if you lose in Death Valley, which everybody since 2016 has, you still ha- are in, in position to win the Coastal Division, uh, getting Pitt at home going into the last week of the year. So if they are not doing that, then I, I don't think it's a successful year. Because if, if you're knocked out before you get to November 19th, then you've underachieved in some way, shape, or form, or the league is just drastically better than we thought they were. But um, knocking off Texas a would be great, wonderful for Miami, but I think it's going to come down to what happens in conference play, uh, given that they take care of Southern Miss, Middle Tennessee, Bethune-Cookman, and then get to uh, get to Clemson undefeated in conference play. Yeah, I think most people are thinking nine or ten wins if Mario is really going to take a step forward um, with this with this team and getting into the ACC championship game would would probably send the message he needs to get those recruits. Yeah. You've got a great recruiting class right now. The question is, come December, are those guys going to stick with Miami or look to jump ship? And getting the ACC title game probably does that for him. 
Yeah, I, I agree. And look, I don't even I don't even know if they have to get to the ACC title game. I think it certainly puts a marker down. It, it absolutely does. Um, but I mean, you, you said nine or ten wins. I don't think there's any shame in going to Clemson as a one loss team. That one loss being at Texas A and M, losing to Clemson, and then maybe even losing to Pitt and not going to the ACC champ ACC championship game. It'll feel a lot like 2017 did. But those teams are better than the teams that that. Miami lost to in 2017. Yeah. Clemson's a really good team. There's no shame in that. I, I just told you what I think about Pitt. I think their defense may be the second best in the league, uh, in a league with pretty good defenses. So if And Pitt, as a program, maybe not talent-wise, but as a program, is a couple of steps ahead of where Miami is. So while I think Miami certainly is capable of it, even if, even if it comes down to it and they make it to the championship game, as long as you play it close, nine wins, I think, is a good marker to really put a flag down. And then, uh, and, and I think if you win nine, you win a bowl, you can get to 10. That's, that's what Mario Cristobal needs to really keep this thing. Yeah. Um, last one, you can go. Um, give me a breakout star on offense and defense that, that uh, nobody knows about yet. Oh, I love soon. this. <laughs> uh, defensively, I'll say Jared Verse at Florida State. I think he's gotten a lot of talk. Actually, you know what? No. I'm going to say Noah Taylor at North Carolina. I thought Noah Taylor in that game against Bethune Cook against uh, FAMU uh, really did some good things. He was played out of position. I thought at Virginia, he's been an excellent pass rusher his entire career. And if he stays healthy, I think Noah Taylor has a potential to upset the apple cart in terms of like all ACC defensive ends. Cause I could pretty much tell you five are going to be, if you can jump into that group, then you've done something. So I think one of those two guys is going to be certainly a breakout star offensively. Um, offensively, there's so many guys coming back. I think it's tough. I'll, I'll say Porter Rooks, the receiver from NC State. Okay. Um, you know, he's a guy that's going to kind of operate in the slot. And with Emeka Mezzi, uh, there just wasn't – there weren't a lot of balls to go around. They're going to need a, a deep ball threat. They're going to need a big play threat on the perimeter. I don't know if Devin Carter is going to be that consistently. Thayer Thomas is a really good underneath player, but they're going to need some explosive plays down the field. So I'll go Porter Rooks at NC State as sort of a breakout star for them at receiver. And who wins uh, player of the year? Uh, I'm going to go Tyler Van Dyke. Uh-huh. And I'm, that's not pandering to the home crowd. I'm going to go Tyler Van Dyke. I think it comes down at the end of the year to Tyler Van Dyke and Will Shipley. Um, now, that it depends on how they divvy up carries at Clemson. Uh, I don't think there's a clear person in the league. Devin Leary won't at preseason. I told you my concerns about NC State on offense. Um, I don't really have those for Miami, and I I think they'll be a 9 or 10 win team, which is enough wins to win player of the year. So I'm going to go TVD. Wow. That's uh, good news for Miami. They have, they've yeah. never had an offensive or defensive player of the year in the ACC. Is that true? They've only had rookie of the year. They've wow. Never That's crazy. Right? conference yeah but you know they've also never won the conference either so it's yeah, one of those deals where they've been here a while and haven't done much yeah that's true that's true this is this is our year this is the year <laughs> Roddy. you're uh you're always great love having you on the show man and i want people to make sure that uh they're, they're following your work i know you're not doing the acc podcast this year right you're you're, you're doing the show on sirius and yep so I'm doing the show on Sirius. Uh, I'm usually on Mondays, ACC Today on Channel 371. We Chris Patola is on every day, and he has a rotating cast. I do the Monday show. We rip, whip around the league, talk about all the games, and honestly, we go off topic a lot. So if you like going off topic, you like you know talking some ball, uh, it often becomes an 
F1 podcast at times too. I know your Miami people got it. got a little taste of F1 last year. Yes. Um, it's a big F1 group there. So, you know, we have a lot of fun. I'm also doing uh, uh, the in play Wednesdays in play on ACC network at three o'clock Dallin cuff. And I, we kind of talk about all the mid week topics and stuff like that. So um, yeah. And then, and then obviously the weekend games. So um, I'm, uh, I'm kind of all over the place. Uh, hopefully they, uh, they keep me doing, <laughs> doing a lot of stuff. Yeah, well, you'll be at Duke this week, Friday night for uh, yep. for their game, so uh, you'll get a chance to see Mike Elko, and I think he's going to do a good job there. Uh, I think so too. And, and look, Duke's got some guys that are going to play in the NFL on that team, uh, and it's it's you know we were kind of talking. I was talking to a couple of writers before the season. David Hale and Andrea Adelson were going through. Is Duke more talented than? And and it comes down to like who has more NFL players. Shaka Hayward's going to play in the NFL. Uh, R.J. Oban and, and Dwayne Carter are going to play in the NFL. Parker Graham, the left tackle, probably going to play in the NFL. And then I think some of those secondary guys have a chance to make it. And it's not something that's foreign to Duke. So he's got talent. They're, they're missing some depth. We'll see what he does. But I think he's going to build it the right way. He was with Dave Clawson at Wake Forest. He was with Dave Clawson at Richmond. He's with Dave Clawson at Bowling Green, I believe, too. So he is a guy that, that knows how to build. All right. Roddy, we got to have you back on at some point during the season, brother. But thank you so much. Of course, man. Appreciate you having me, man. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Joined once again by Andrew Ferelli of the South Florida Express. Andrew was a busy guy this week, uh, driving all over the state to watch uh, the start of the high school football season. And he got to watch four of the best games probably in the country uh, involving uh, four of our South Florida teams. And uh, Andrew, what was it like, man? Uh, tell us where you went and, and then how wacky the uh, weekend was. Uh, yeah, it was a pretty crazy weekend. Started on, on Friday, went up to uh, Bradenton for the IMG Miami Central game. Um, seeing, you know, Miami Central go up there and pull out the win there was pretty exciting. Um, I was, you know, pulling for the hometown team there, even though uh, IMG's got a lot of Miami commits on there. Um, but it's always uh, always fun to see, you know, the, those South Florida teams go beat the national powerhouses like that. Um, so that was the first game I saw. Um, and then I know we'll get into some of the prospects and stuff in that game later. They, they all played pretty well. Um, got back from that game probably 2, 3 a.m. And then was back at uh, St. Thomas at 11 a.m. for the, the triple header out there on the, uh, the, the turf in the heat all day, watching uh, the St. Thomas, um, St. Joe's game, then watching Heritage play Los Alamitos, and, and then Chaminade play St. John's. Uh, didn't end up leaving there till close to like 10, 10.30 p.m. So it was a, a long two days for sure. You spent all day yesterday, I'm sure, recovering and 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 tending to your sunburn wounds there because you, you look like you got some sun, brother. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> put uh, put on sunscreen a few times, but uh, there's only so much you could do being out there that long. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, uh, I didn't end up going to any games this week. I had gone the previous week to Cardinal Gibbons to watch uh, that jamboree. I decided it's the final weekend off before the regular season starts for college football. Obviously, Miami Bethune-Cookman. Uh, kick off this Saturday at 3.30 at Hard Rock Stadium. I'll be there for that. Uh, and I'll probably be out at a few high school games, but I, I promised the wife I would uh, do some things with her over the weekend, final weekend before the season starts. So I didn't go watch any of the games, but I did watch a lot of the highlights. And I wrote about Ruben Bain, who actually had three sacks. Uh, he's one of the top Miami targets in this cycle that still remains uncommitted. And, uh, you know, I, I watched the film had a rough day against Francis Maui Goa from what I saw when he was uh, lined up on the edge on that side. Uh, Maui Goa, the Miami commitment, uh, number one offensive tackle in the country, definitely stuffed him, uh, it seemed, probably most of the game. Um, I know Antonio Tripp, uh, another Miami commitment, uh, who plays center. I don't think he played in that game. I didn't see him in any of the highlights. I didn't see any cut-ups for him at all. Um, but what, what was your takeaway from from that that game from a recruiting perspective? And then we can just talk about all the guys that were there. <laughs> Um, yeah, Tripp didn't play much. Um, I don't think he played at all. I don't know if it was injury related, if they just held him out. Um, you know, he, he only got to IMG a couple weeks ago, so there's still some stuff going on there. Um, but as as for the guys that played, I mean, Francis Maligo was was Francis Maligo. He's one of the best, most complete offensive tackle prospects I've watched in a long time. Um, and yeah, when Bain was matched up against him for the first quarter, quarter and a half, he had a rough go. Um, Francis was, you know, shutting him down pretty easily. Um there was a couple of times where Bain would try to try to get outside around him and, and Francis would just kind of push him down and get and land on top of him. Um, so, I mean, but going against Francis is a, is a task for anyone. He shut down um, Damon Wilson, who's another five-star defensive end the week before. Um, he's 
you know, Francis is going to shut down anyone. Um, but yeah, as soon as they moved Bain inside and then started moving him around to get him away from Francis, he, he dominated. He lived in the backfield, had three sacks in like the last two and a half quarters of that game um, and really changed everything for the way IMG's offense was running. They couldn't, uh, they didn't have time to, to drop back and, and spread the ball to their receivers. Um, they started trying to, to run the ball away from him and um, really impacted the game a lot. As soon as they got him away from Francis, he was probably the best player out there on the field. Yeah, I think uh, IMG has four offensive linemen that are committed to Power 5 schools, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you, we mentioned Tripp not playing in that game. Uh, I know Harris, uh, Najee Harris, I guess, is going to Florida, um, played the left guard spot right next to Maui Goa. And so that that was obviously a tough uh, a tough area to kind of get through with those two guys there. <laughs> uh, but Jordan Church did play. Uh, he's a kid who's committed Louisville in offensive tackle, 6'4", 325. I think he's a three-star. Um, and... Uh, Bain did split him and the the right guard that he was going up against. His, uh, his name is Xavier Lozowicki. He's an uncommitted and unranked 6'6", 300-pound senior from Pennsylvania. I did all my homework, Andrew, so I could write about <laughs> Ange, uh, uh, Ruben Bain. Um, and and I watched the film closely, and and basically, you know, he beat a, an unranked guy. And I don't want that – I mean, you shouldn't sit here and say, like, oh, well, that's nothing. Because if you're at IMG Academy and you're starting or you're playing a whole lot, obviously the coaching staff thinks a lot of you. So – um, like you said, Bain sort of took over and the defense for Central took over in that game. Um, I, I wanted to ask you about uh, Riley Williams, who, who's another Miami commit, obviously at IMG. Don't know how much he did in that game. I think I saw a clip of him making a catch. Um, and then obviously um, Wayne, you know, the five star or mm-hmm. four star defensive edge rusher. I saw him make a couple plays in the backfield. Just your your thoughts on those two guys. Uh, yeah, Riley Williams played pretty well. They were getting him the ball early. He had a... Um one nice catch and run where they kind of got him the ball short. He turned the corner, made uh, broke some tackles for, for a big gain. Um, I'm just quarterback did get injured on the first play. Yeah. Um, so coupled with uh, between that and then just the issues blocking room and Bain and stuff like that. Um, they didn't really throw the ball a whole lot. They didn't have much success throwing the ball. Um, they just didn't have time to do so. Uh, so Riley Williams didn't have the biggest game, but uh, the couple of times that they did get him involved and, and got the ball in his hands, he looked good with it. Um, Jaden Wayne played really well. He, um, he got in the backfield a couple of times for some tackles for loss. Um, central did a really good job getting the ball out quick. I think they knew that they weren't going to be able to block IMG's defensive line very long. Um, so it was a lot of just quick passes, rolling the quarterback out, things like that. Um, so, uh, they didn't have many sacks at all, but he was in the backfield a lot. Um, getting some tackles for loss, pressuring the quarterback constantly and, and looked really good in run support as well. Yeah, one thing I will say about Bain, and I asked um, Charles Fishman of Lead Scouting Services about him, and I asked him for a, a, a comparison. He said Dallas Turner, that he kind of thinks that that it's similar in that regard in the sense that just the, the disruptive force that he is, whether it's inside or outside. I guess from, from getting a chance to see him go up against an, an elite offensive line, what, what ultimately do you think is his ceiling? Um, you know, Miami fans are obviously interested and he's, it's either probably going to be Miami, Alabama, or potentially Oklahoma as, as his three destinations. Yeah. I mean, the production speaks for itself. I mean, he had three sacks this game last year. He had basically averaged over three sacks a game, um, and, you know, playing in one of the biggest divisions in, in South Florida. So the production's there, um, as for how he projects at the next level, it's I'm I'm not sure. Um, he I think he's he's going to be good. He you know like I said his his project his production's undeniable, um, but 
is he long enough to be, you know, that edge rusher? Is he, does he have the frame to maybe add some more weight and move inside? Um, so th- there's a lot of things you could do with him um, to, to kind of see where he fits on your defense, depending upon what scheme he goes into next year. Um, so I think Dallas Turner um, is a little bit faster, maybe a little bit longer than him. Um, but uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how he develops. He's got an incredible motor. He just, He's got great pass rushing moves, swim moves, spin moves. He's got great technique. Uh, he just finds ways to, to get in the backfield and be disruptive regardless of where they line him up. Uh, Samuel Mpemba is obviously another guy that Miami's on. They're, they're obviously on a few different edge rushers trying to get him into this class. Just elite mm-hmm. guys. Damon Wilson from Venice. You mentioned how he got shut down by Malagoa the week prior when, when they when IMG beat Venice. Um, but how did uh, how did Samuel Mpemba look in that game? Pemba looked pretty good. Um, he did have a UF backpack on, so I wasn't a fan of that. But uh, <laughs> after the game when he was walking around. Um, but, uh, but yeah, he looked pretty good in the game. Um, he, he's very quick off the edge. Um, and just physically, he looks the most college ready right now. Um, he's just got an insane build. Okay. Um, let's move on to Saturday and the the, the, the long day that you had there yeah. with in, in that in that hot sun. Uh, St. Thomas Aquinas uh, beat St. Joseph's uh, out of Pennsylvania, 48 to 37. Um, Connor Hussey uh, is committed to Penn State, uh, four-star safety, but he's certainly a guy I think that's on Miami's radar, especially since they need, they kind of need a safety in this class. Um, curious what you thought of his play. Um, what did he do in that game? Because I didn't, I didn't get to watch film of him in particular in that game. Uh, Connor Hussey looked good. Um, he made a lot of plays back there. St. Joe's is definitely a run first team. Um, their quarterback was a, a built kid, definitely a run first quarterback. Um, but anytime that they did, uh, you know, try to throw the ball deep or make any plays downfield, Conrad Hussey was, was all over the field back there. Um, they use him and, and King Mac a lot, um, just kind of moving them around um, in, in the defensive backfield. And they both make a lot of plays. Um, so Conrad Hussey played well. He, he came up, made a couple of big hits too, uh, um, up in the box. So he looked good. And I know Miami's definitely been talking to him a lot, uh, trying to flip him from Penn state. So we'll, we'll see where that ends up. What's your read on that situation? Because obviously, you know, South Florida kid, um, a guy who, you know, I would guess if Miami has a good season, um, they could potentially flip, but, uh, you know, Penn state does have Manny Diaz's defensive coordinator. I don't know what that relationship with, with Hussey and, and Diaz is like. Um, and, and, you know, Penn state's sort of an interesting situation for them this year in the big 10. Um, I, I don't want to say a make or break year, but they, they struggled last year, right? I mean, this is kind mm-hmm. of an important year to show some sort of a turnaround. What's your read on that situation with Hussey? Do you think that Miami could flip them? I think there's definitely a shot there. Um, I think a lot of it just comes down to how they play on the field. I mean, I think it was Jeremiah Smith from the five-star 2024 receiver had the the quote last week that uh, pretty much reigns true for all of the South Florida recruits. He, he basically said, just win. That's all he wants to see is, is Miami to win. Um, and I think if they do that, then uh, they put themselves in good positions. And I think Conrad Hussey is definitely one of the kids that uh, they'd be able to to flip from Penn State if that were to happen, if they have, you know, nine, 10 win season. All right, be interesting situation to watch. Any other young guys on Aquinas uh, that, that might pop on Miami's radar here? Because I think that's it, basically, for 23. Is there any 24, 25 guys that you think uh, Miami should be after? Uh, Chance Robinson, he's a four-star top 100 receiver for 2024. Um, he played really well. I know uh, Miami want, likes him in that 24 class as well. Him and his dad are big UM fans. Um, so I think they've got a good shot there. So uh, I think that's uh, one big target to watch for 2024 in that St. Thomas team. All right, let's move on to American Heritage uh, and Los Alamitos. American Heritage beats them 56 
to 27. Before we get to to Brandon and Mark and, and all the guys on the South Florida Express and how they how they looked great, uh, I saw Roger Bell's kid, uh, former NBA player, of course, from FIU and, and spent many years in the NBA. Uh, you know, he looked good at the end of that game. Big, strong kid. He's only a 2026. 20, I mean, he's, he's, I guess, a true freshman, right? I mean, yep. uh, how did uh, did he stand out like a sore thumb when you saw him? I'm guessing he did. Yeah, it was it was surprising to see how he performed at that game. I mean, uh, he's only 13, 14 years old, a, a freshman. Um, going in there, he's a, a tall kid. He obviously needs to add some weight, but he's only, you know, 14. That's going to happen naturally. Um, but yeah, his arm strength surprised me. He was in there slinging the ball around that fourth quarter. Um, he, he looked really good, especially for a, a kid that's only a freshman. He wouldn't be surprised to see him as a, a highly rated quarterback in the next three years or so. Well, and I was going to say, he looked pretty tall to me. How tall is he? He's probably around six three, six four, um, wow. and he's, as a as a freshman. So it's, what, it's, what what's he going to look like as a senior? Is he going to be like a six eight quarterback, or what's the deal here? I don't know. I mean, he's uh, he's definitely got some height to him. It'll be interesting to see how he develops over the next couple of years. Um, but based on what I saw from him already, I wouldn't be surprised to see him as a you know one of the top quarterback recruits come uh, I guess twenty twenty five, twenty twenty six. Be interesting to watch. Um, all right. So you guys, obviously, South Florida Express had a ton of kids uh, in this game. Uh, Makai Lemon, Malachi Nelson, uh, both USC commitments uh, on the California team. Um, I think Malachi threw four touchdowns in the game. And, and I think Makai basically had all the all the catches, right? Yeah. <laughs> Makai. So they, they St. Uh, Heritage did a good job shutting down pretty much everyone but Makai. Um, Makai was dominant he had a long kick return he had a couple long receptions i think three or four touchdowns in the game um he was incredible U- usc definitely got them uh, a good one with him yeah and and who was covering him for most of the the game was it damari who was uh who drew the assignment that's not one that i'm envious of um so it got moved around damari actually played really really well on him um he had a couple pass breakups against him he had an interception against him um, and then one of Makai's touchdowns was against him, but it was just, I mean, Damari was in perfect position. It was just absolutely an incredible catch. He kind of reached around him to to grab the ball um, as he fell into the end zone. Um, other than that, they did a really good job moving him around. A lot of it was like misdirection, tunnel screen, stuff like that, um, just to get in the ball um, short and, and let him, you know, just work and rack up the yards after catch. Heritage has been on the road twice now, I guess, Georgia and, and technically at St. Thomas, right, to win this game. Uh, and they've beaten, you know, out-of-state teams pretty handily. Now, um, how impressive is this Heritage team? And, and you know, everybody talks about Chaminade and Central, right, being the nationally ranked teams. But does Heritage deserve a little consideration? I think you could definitely put Heritage in that conversation with them. Um, I think people, you know, they had a, a not the best year last year. I think they went 5-7 and seven or 5-6, and six, something like that. Um, but people forget that their quarterback, Blake Murphy, who was, you know, very, very good. It was a all over sports center and stuff for some incredible runs. Um, he broke his leg or broke his ankle in like the second game last year. Um, and you ended up having to move Brandon Ennis to quarterback. So obviously you don't have him at receiver at that point. Um, and that kind of just threw off their whole season there. Um, really derailed their offense. But having Blake back at quarterback, you can put Brandon at receiver. Um, and then just having Mark Fletcher in the backfield, surrounded by all the athletes that they have on both sides of the ball. Um, they're definitely one of the the top teams in South Florida, I think they'll uh, they'll work themselves into that national conversation. Well, let me ask you about Mark and, and Brandon, in particular, the two Ohio State commitments. I, I know Adam Lichtenstein of the Sun Sentinel wrote an article saying, can Miami flip these guys and and basically, you know, talk to both of them to see uh, where Miami sort of ranks uh, for them in this picture. 
Um, any insight you can share on that? Did the Hurricanes have any hope? I think so. Um, definitely more so with Mark than Brandon, but I think they're working hard uh, with both of them. Um, a lot of the Heritage guys came back for the the Chaminade game later, so I was talking to them on the sidelines. Um, and I think they'll get uh, Damari Brown is, is committing, I think, late September, right after his Miami official visit. Obviously, that bodes well for them. Right. Um, so I think if you get him on board, um, and I think the next most likely would be Mark Fletcher. I know they talked to him every single day now for the last couple of weeks. Um, they've definitely put in some work there. I think uh, they're they're hopeful that they can flip him. And then uh, with Brandon, they just keep chipping away. Um, Brandon told me that he talks to uh, Mario texts him more than, than any coach in the country. Um, definitely seemed receptive to it. Made it sound like he, um, you know, might try to get down there at some point this year, um, this, this season for either a game or just to go visit down there. Um, so, uh, so we'll see. They're definitely, um, staying on top of them, chipping away. Uh, I think they land Damari. I think they, they've started talking to Damon Fagan as well. Um, if they, if they look his way at safety, I think they could flip him from NC state. Um, and then I think Fletcher would be the next most likely, but they're they're definitely uh, doing their work, staying on top of them. And and like I said, Brandon said he talks to uh, to Cristobal just as much, if not more, than than any coach in the country. Um, so we'll we'll see what happens there. I'm not exactly getting my hopes up. I wouldn't say I feel confident by any means, um, but it's definitely the most I've most positive I've heard him speak uh, regarding Miami. Of course, the Hurricanes have to go play a season now, so that'll that'll dis- that'll tell people a lot as well. Uh, you know, depending on how their season goes. Let me ask you, uh, Mark. As far as the backfield, I mean, he ran for over two hundred yards in this game. I think it's it is the second game in a row he's, he's put up over two hundred yards. Yeah, I believe he had nineteen carries for like two twenty and two touchdowns. He was he was dominant in this game. Yeah, um, I'm I'm curious when he looks at the Miami backfield, sees the injuries that they've had. I mean, they've, but they still have technically five underclassmen. Um, is it too deep of a backfield at Miami? Does he is he hoping some guys leave if he's going to consider them, or what's kind of you know from that from that perspective? Yeah, I mean it's definitely um, you know something he's considering. Obviously, Miami is a deep backfield, but uh, you know any any of the schools he's looking at are, are some of the top schools in the country. They have they have depth at the running back position. It's going to be a competition anywhere he goes, um, and, and he's also different than a lot of the guys that Miami has or that any school has. I mean, there's not too many teams that have a guy that's six two two twenty five that can move like he can. Um, so I think regardless of what backfield he walks into, he definitely brings a different dynamic. Um, so I don't think he's uh, he's running from competition, regardless of, of where he ends up going. All right. Um, looks like UM added a a transfer running back this morning in, in Lucius Stanley from uh, UAB, six foot, two hundred fifteen pounder. So that was good for them to uh, to pick up uh, somebody who can at least perform. He's going to come on as a, as a walk on. Had thirty eight carries, two hundred thirteen yards, and a touchdowns last year. So now they've got four. Um, I guess you could say scholarship caliber healthy mm-hmm. running backs. We'll see if Don Chang makes it back at some point this year, but um, it'll be interesting. Um, let's let's wrap it up with Hollywood Chaminade and St. John's uh, DC. Chaminade beats uh, St. John's 35-28. You, you mentioned they were up 35-7 at one point in that game before uh, St. John started to come back. Obviously, the two guys there, the 24 um, recruits, uh, Jeremiah Smith and JoJo Trader, uh, the two elite receivers, uh, two of your your two leaders for this coming season for South Florida Express. How did they yeah. do? <laughs> um, I mean, Jeremiah and Jojo were were Jeremiah and Jojo. They they looked dominant early on. Um, Shamanon may have been the most impressive of the the three teams. Um, the St. John's team that they played is is highly ranked. Um, they looked the part coming in. They had some massive kids. They had a, um, a defensive end that's committed to Clemson. Just a 
tons of power five kids on their team as well. Um, and they just couldn't keep up with the speed of Shamanad. Um, Shamanad's offensive line did a good job, um, you know, holding them off so that uh, Cedric Bailey could could spread the ball around. Um, and Jeremiah Smith, he got uh, he got open for a touchdown early on, and then uh, they had a trick play where they actually threw it over to JoJo Trader, who then threw it deep to Jeremiah Smith, who was wide open for a long touchdown again. Um, Having and then, fun, basically. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and then I think to go up uh, 28-7 in the second quarter, Cedric Bailey hit JoJo uh, Trader across the middle for like a 30-yard touchdown. Um, so the two of them dominated a receiver. Um, Cedric Bailey looked really good as well at quarterback. Um, it got to 35-7 and uh, Shamanak kind of called off the dogs maybe a little earlier than they uh, should have uh, got back to 35-28 late in the game, but they, they held on. Um but uh, Jeremiah and, and Jojo were, you know, incredible. They were, they looked like the number one receiver and number one athlete in the country for that 2024 class. Um, and I think Miami's got a, a good shot at both of them. I definitely say um, they're in the lead for Jojo. Um, I know he's, he's mentioned lately that Miami seems to be at the top of his list. And then um, for Jeremiah Smith, they're, they're up there. It's probably them, Ohio state and Alabama. Uh, and I think if you get uh, Jojo on board, that'll, and play a big part in keeping him home because the two of them are, are very close. They've played together since Little League. I would say that of all the recruits, you know, at least locally here, they're the two most important for Mario Cristobal in the next cycle. Um, because, you know, first of all, they're they're five-star guys. And you, whenever you have those five-star guys, you got to try and keep them home. But I would say just from a, a barometer sort of perspective, like if they're able to keep them home, then Mario – is doing his job. He, he's he's won them over. It's hard to come in here and get the 23 kids to jump on board, but mm-hmm. if you can do that with the 24s, um, the two best 24s in your backyard, it probably sends a loud message, right? Definitely. And that 24 class is very close um, down here in South Florida. Um, a lot of those top guys have all played together growing up. Um, got the the five-star safety at Chaminade as well as Aquan Patterson. They've all played together growing up. Um, so I think if you get those two guys... And then uh, th- those are kind of the two leaders, that 24 class down here. You're going to have every other top kid down here wanting to uh, to join in. Um, and I, I think I've mentioned it in prior podcasts that that 24 class is, is the key. Um, and if, if you get those two guys on board, you're going to be able to uh, to pick pretty much whoever you want down here. There's going to be a lot of guys that want to come along and play with them. Yeah, uh, it'll be interesting to watch uh, how the season pans out for Miami because I really do feel like they've got to win nine to ten games and – be the you know being the conference championship game at the end. I don't think anybody's expecting them to make the playoff. I don't think anybody's expecting them to win the ACC if Clemson is at their best because those mm-hmm. that's still a more talented team than they are. Um, but I certainly think the hope is they take a step forward and they've been in that six, seven, eight, nine win range for a long time. Um, <laughs> and 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 so it's going to matter. I think to these recruits that they see Miami take a step forward. Yeah, definitely. I think they've got to win. You know, nine, ten games at least make the conference championship. Um, and then just look respect, you know, respectable in these big games. You can't go to AM and get blown out. Can't go get blown out by Clemson. Um, you know, whatever. Hopefully they make it to a, a good bowl game. Got to hopefully win or put up a big showing in that. Um, so I think it's, you know, it's winning those 10, possibly 11 games overall, including the, the championship or a bowl game. Um, and then just putting up respectable performances. Because so many times we've seen, you know, even the years where Miami may have put eight, nine, 10 wins together. They go play, uh, you know, a Clemson on the road or whatever the case may be, and just get blown out. And it uh, or Clemson in the ACC championship game and get blown out. 
So I think uh, on top of winning, you know, those hopefully nine, 10 games, you just got to at least look respectable in some of the big games as well. You can't just uh, look outclassed in, in some of these big matchups. Yeah. Andrew, it was fun ha- catching up with you, man. I know uh, Miami uh, is going to be on top of uh, these recruits locally, trying to convince them and flip them over. I know that you're going to be out there watching them because you love this stuff. And uh, I, I love having you on uh, to come talk. What do you, what, what are your thoughts before we before we go, just on uh, the way camp wrapped up, a lot of questions at receiver from Miami. Obviously, the running back situation, which which we just touched on because of the, the injuries. Um, what's your feeling here coming out of camp with, with the team? Uh, I think wide receivers, you know, the position I'm most worried about still. Um, it's weird because there's a lot of names there, a lot of guys that came in highly ranked that have flashed. Um, it's just seeing who's going to be that that one or two guys that that step up. Um, so there's there's a lot of names. Hopefully, I know Jacoby George has been kind of in and out. You get him back. Um, Romello Brinson. There's uh, Keyshawn Smith. A lot of guys. Hopefully, that step up. Um, I think you're you're pretty set set in the slot. You've got Rashard Smith. You've got um, Xavier Estrepo. I think they're they're set there. Um, but just uh, stepping up and seeing who's going to be the guy on the outside, I think, is the biggest question mark going into this year. Uh, I feel a lot better about linebacker this year than I did last year or the last couple of years. Uh, I think Caleb Johnson is, I've heard he's played really well. Um, so I think he helps sure up that linebacker spot. And then uh, with running back, I mean, you still got a, a solid three guys with, uh, with Knighton, um, with Parrish and with Dad Franklin. Um, they're three guys that, that bring a lot of different assets to the table. And then uh, obviously going out and get, getting uh, this kid from UAB. So he had over, I think, 1200 yards and 14 touchdowns in his career at UAB. So uh, he's a guy with, with, you know, division one experience. He's got some production. Um, to be that fourth guy in case anything were to happen. So I think, um, you know, I'm not too worried about running back and linebacker this year, but uh, seeing who steps up at receiver on the outside, I think is the biggest question mark. All right. Well, you got a final score prediction for Saturday, Bethune-Cookman. What, how many how many points should Miami win by? This is a two and nine Bethune-Cookman team last year, I believe. Oh, it, it's it's tough with these games because, I mean, it all depends on, on how early they want to pull guys out and stuff like that. Um I think there's going to be a lot of energy in the stadium. I'm hoping for, even though it's Bethune Cookman, I'm hoping for a good crowd since it's Mario's first game and I'll be out there. Um, I'm going to go, I'm going to go 63 to 10. All right. I could take 53 points uh, margin. I think most fans will be happy with that. Yep. Yep. All so, right, uh, Andrew. Good catching up, brother. Uh, any final thought as we go? Uh, no, just, uh, Excited to see what happens with this recruiting class over the next couple months, uh, especially if they do come out and have a good season, because even, um, you know, some of these four or five star guys that are committed elsewhere, it seems like uh, the staff is on them nonstop, that Mario is is not backing down from any teams, any kids that are committed elsewhere. Um, so he's definitely doing the work on the recruiting side. It'll be interesting uh, once the games get played, if things pan out on the field. Um, you know, I think this class could end up being pretty special. All right. A couple of programming notes for our listeners. Uh, we're going to have uh, Roddy Jones from ESPN ACC analyst on tomorrow to talk a little uh, ACC with me. Then Wednesday, Sam Khan of The Athletic, our, our tech expert, uh, our expert out in Texas, uh, is going to come on and talk a little Texas A&M since that's the big game I think everybody's sort of looking forward to. So that's it for our listeners. Uh, for Andrew Ferrelli, I'm Manny Navarro. We will see you guys soon. I'm the man.